Where are they going? Tanis asked, staring into the trees in the direction of the path that could, for Alhanna, lead only to darkness. Silvanesti, said Dalimar. Tanis protested. That's crazy. Doesn't she realize? She realizes, my friend. And I believe we should accompany her. That is why I waited for you. Think a moment before you refuse. Rashus has looked on the face of rebellion. He knows now that some of his own people may rise up against him. He's afraid. My dread queen loves those who are afraid, Tanis. Her nails are dug into him deeply, and she will continue to drag him down. What are you saying? Tanis demanded. Only this. It's bound to occur to Rashus that Portheos is a threat, that exile won't stop him. That Portheos mustn't be allowed to live. Precisely. We may already be too late, Dalimar added offhandedly, with a shrug. You keep saying we. You can't go into Sylvanesti. Even with your powers, you'd be hard-pressed to fight all the elven magic users. They'd kill you without hesitation. My people won't welcome me home with open arms, Dalimar replied, smiling slyly, but they can't stop me from entering. You see, my friend, I've been granted permission to visit Sylvanesti, for services rendered. You don't give a damn about Portheos. Tanis was suddenly angered by the dark elf's coolness. What's your stake in this? Dalimar answered with a sidelong glance. A high one. You may be certain, but don't expect me to reveal my hand to you, for now we are partners in this game. He shrugged again. What will it be, Tanis half-elven? In a snap of my fingers we could be in your home. You will of course want to talk to your wife, tell Lorana what has happened. She will need to accompany us. She will be most valuable in talking sense to that stiff-necked brother of hers. Home. Tanner sighed. He wanted very much to go home, to shut himself up in his fine house, and... Do what? What was the point now? What was the use? When Alhanna reaches Sylvanesti, Tanner said slowly, thinking this through to its bitter conclusion, the Sylvanesti elves will hear of the insult the Qualanesti offered their queen. That will mean bloodshed. Alhanna won't be able to stop it this time. Once, long ago, we elves fought among ourselves. You're talking about starting another Kinslayer war. Dalimar shrugged, unconcerned. You are behind the time, Tanis. The war has already started. Tanis saw the truth of this, saw it with the same vivid clarity he'd seen the vision of Gilthus. Only now... Instead of Solinari illuminating the young man's future, Tanis saw it lit by flame and lightning, saw it stained with blood. The war would come, and he would be pitted against his own son. Tanis closed his eyes. He could see Gil's face, so young, trying so desperately to be brave, wise. Father, is that you? For a moment, Tanis thought the voice was in his mind, that the image of his son had conjured it into being. But the word was repeated, stronger, with a ragged edge of joy and longing. Father! Giltha stood on the path, just inside the border of Qualanesti. The white-robed wizardess lurked jealously near him. She did not look pleased to see Tanis. 
She had obviously not expected to find him here. She laid a firm hand on Gilthus's arm, appeared ready to whisk him away. A rustle in the treetops was a warning, all the warning Tannis was likely to receive. Tannis, Dalimar called, be careful. Tannis ignored him, ignored the white robe, ignored the elves in the trees with their bows and arrows. He strode toward his son. Gilthus jerked away from the wizardess's grasp. She clasped hold of him again, more firmly this time. An angry flush stained Gilthus's face, but he swallowed hard. Tanis could see his son choke down his anger, could see, in Gilthus, himself. Gilthus said something in a low, conciliatory voice. The white robe, still looking displeased, removed her hand and backed off. Tanis stepped across the border. Reaching out, he caught hold of his son in his arms. Father, Gilthus said brokenly, I thought you'd gone. I wanted to talk to you. They wouldn't let me. I know, son. I know, Tanis said, clasping his boy close. I understand. Believe me, I understand it all now. Hands on Gil's shoulders, Tanis looked intently into his son's face. I do understand. Gil's face darkened. Is Queen Alhanna safe? Roshas assured me that she was, but I made them bring me here to see for myself. She is safe, Tanis said quietly. His gaze shifted to the white robe, who stood to one side, her baleful gaze divided between her charge and the black-robed wizard hovering in the shadows. Samar is with the queen. He will guard her well, as you have reason to know, I believe. Samar! Gil's face brightened. You rescued him. I'm so glad. They were going to make me sign the order for his execution. I wouldn't have done it, father. I don't know how. The youthful face hardened. But I wouldn't have. Tanis glanced at the white robe. Dalimar could stop her from taking any action. But could he, at the same time, prevent the archers from shooting? They would, however, be reluctant to endanger the life of their new speaker. Gil, Tanis spoke in common. You didn't take that vow of your own free will. You were coerced into making it. You could leave, now. Dalimar will help us. Gilthus bowed his head. There was no doubt what answer he wanted to give. He looked up with a wistful smile. I gave the wizardess my word, father. When I found you here, I promised her I would return with her if she would grant me permission to... to... tell you goodbye. His voice broke. He paused a moment, struggling, then continued quietly. Father, I heard you once tell Lord Gunthar that if it had been up to you, you would have never of your own free will fought in the War of the Lance. You were drawn into it by force of circumstance. And that was why it made you uneasy to hear people call you a hero. You did what you had to do, what any right-thinking person would do. Tanner sighed. Memories, mostly dark, came back to him. His grip on Gilthus tightened. Tannis knew that in a moment he would have to let his son go. Father, Gil said earnestly, I'm not fooling myself. I know I won't be able to do much to change things. 
I know Rashus intends to use me for his own evil ends, and right now I don't see any way of stopping him. But do you remember what Uncle Tass said when he told the story about saving the gully dwarf from the red dragon? It's the small things that make the difference. If I can manage in small ways to work against Rasha's father, we raise our children to leave us. Without even knowing it, Tanis had done so. He could see that now, could see it in the face of the boy. No, the man standing in front of him. He supposed he should feel proud. And he did. But pride was a very small fire to warm his heart-numbing chill of loss. The white robe was clearly growing impatient. She removed from her belt a jeweled silver wand. Dalimar, seeing this, called out quietly, Tanis, my friend, I am here, if you have need of my services. Tanis embraced his son one last time. He took advantage of their closeness to whisper, you are the speaker now, Gilthas. Don't forget that. Don't let Rashas and his kind forget it. Keep fighting him. You won't fight alone. You saw the young elves who walked out of the meeting today? Win them to your side. They won't trust you at first. They'll think you're Rashas's pawn. You'll have to convince them otherwise. It won't be easy, but I know you can succeed. I'm proud of you, my son. Proud of what you did this day. Thank you, Father. A last embrace, a last look, a last brave smile. Tell Mother. I love her, Gil said softly. He swallowed hard. Then, turning, he left his father and went back to stand beside the white robe. She spoke a word. The two were gone. Without a backward glance, Tanis couldn't have seen anything anyway, blinking away the tears that blinded him. He walked back across the border, but he held his head high, as would any proud father whose son has just been made ruler of a nation. He'd keep his head high until night, until darkness, until he was home, until he had to tell Lorana that she might never see her beloved son again. So said Dalimar, keeping in the shadows beneath the oak trees. You couldn't talk Gilthus into coming back with you. I didn't try, Tanis returned, his voice harsh and grating. He gave them his word of honor he'd go back. Dalimar regarded his friend intently a moment. He gave them his word. The dark elf shook his head and sighed. As I said before... The son of Tanis Half-Elven is the last person Takesis wanted to see sitting on the Elven throne. If it is any comfort, my friend, her dark majesty did not mean things to turn out exactly as they did. She is extremely sorry that we failed. Tanis supposed that news should bring him some consolation. Dalimar removed the cloth, the cushion, the wine, the bread, and the cheese with a wave and a word. He slid his hands into the sleeves of his black robes. Well, my friend, have you made a decision? What will you do? What I have to do, I suppose, Tanis said bitterly. I can't let Rashus murder Portheos. 
And once Portheos is free, I've got to stop him from murdering Rashas and the rest of the Qualinesti. None of which looks very promising. He walked out from beneath the oak trees and came to stand on the path that led back to Qualinesti. He looked into the sunlit, quivering leaves of the aspen trees of his childhood home. There are so many things I meant to teach you, Gilthas, Tanis said softly. So much I meant to tell you. So many things I meant to say. Dalimar rested his hand on Tanis's shoulder. You may not have said the words aloud, my friend. But I think your son heard you. Tanis turned away from Qualinesti, turned toward the path that led to darkness. He turned back to a house that, no matter how many people it held, would always be empty. Let's go, he said. Epilogue A Prospect of Birds in the Cancelling Winter First Fables of Prophets and Roses and Swords Margaret believed in us all, believed in our stories. A patient astronomer drawn by a gap in the sky who knows from a thousand years' calculation that the next star is coming, that all that remains is the waiting and prayer and the long, tiring business of notebook and telescope until the brightness consumes the dark, a brightness conceived and cradled for centuries. She can say, This is something I have always expected. This is the harvest of years. And then when she speaks, the heavens remember that she was the one bearing money and flowers and trips to the city, incandescence of fireworks when we gathered in dozens on the summer nights by the vanishing lake. And most of all, words she brought us, arrayed like galaxies, into the forms of belief. At home by the lake, she began the story, building word after difficult word, until in the telling the world appeared, until in the waters the stars came down, and all of the planets, the heavens encircle. Chislev and Zivalin, Raislin and Caramon, Palin and Tannen, Raoul and the Little One, the trining moons that herald the tides of her magic all in the choir of her memory, where the voice of love moved on the water and sang in attendance as the story rose out of the lake, and the midnight, the attar of roses on the farthest shore, and the winter reverted to incredible spring as it always reverts, and the snow and the spirits went where they wish in the lands of belief, as the story begins again. Dragonlance, The Second Generation Written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman Narrated by Gabra Zachman The End